Well, welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, a senior editor at Light Reading. And I'm Jason Manningham, the CEO of Blockgraph. Hey, Jason. Good to have you on the podcast. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? It's great to be here. Yeah, it's been a long time. We were talking about this earlier. We were at CES in 2019, I think, when we first crossed paths and we talked about Blockgraph, right? That's right. Yeah, it was over in uh, Las Vegas. So coming yep. up on, what is that, three three plus years since we yeah. last spoke. Been a be while. It's been yeah. a while. A whole so, pandemic. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had a pandemic in between all of it. So, uh, and a lot of change, I guess, not on the focus of the company, but um, ownership. We'll get into all that. But, uh, you know, I think before we get into a lot of the specific questions, it would be good to have you uh, talk about the origins of Blockgraph and talk about what the a little bit about what the company does, of course, but what it solves for with respect to privacy uh, in the kind of the targeted advertising world. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, for those who, who may or may not know Blockgraph, we're a joint venture that is co-owned by Comcast, Charter, and Paramount, so three major TV distributors and, and um, publishers. And the company was actually initially formed as an incubation effort within Comcast's advanced advertising group, which was uh, Freewheel. Um, so co the company was initially conceived of while uh, a number of us at Freewheel had an idea to address what we saw as a big problem, um, <clears throat> a big set of problems, I should really say. The big set of problems being data was becoming more important for all advertising. Uh, so advertisers wanted to be more targeted with which audiences they were reaching. And they also wanted to measure which ads were actually driving results. And data was really the, the fuel that made all of this um, precision and accuracy possible. At the same time, there was a, an underpinning of increasing privacy regulation that was driven by a lot of the, the, um, the outrage at what some of the big tech platforms were doing. And that was essentially driving a lot of increasing awareness of the need to both protect data for security reasons, but also to preserve the privacy of households and consumers who are engaging with media. Um, and in this world where data is becoming more, more important, but um, privacy was becoming more important, <clears throat> we felt that the television industry, which was going through a big transformation in terms of how it was being consumed, needed to evolve the way that it was using data. Um, and set up systems that allowed it to capitalize on the next wave of data-driven advertising growth, uh, which was a privacy-first world. And that was the reason for forming Blockgraph um, a, a number of years ago. Right. And real quick, that, before right. we dig in there, right, when you're talking about the evolution of TV, so that's all multi-screen and apps and, and just the way that TV is being consumed. I mean, was that the, the big driver, essentially? Yeah, that for sure. There's a couple of big trends that were happening. The first is that everything was going over. And I mean, even traditional linear television was being delivered increasingly over IP. 
Um, and then at the same time, there were new ways that consumers were looking to engage with uh, quality video. And that was essentially through streaming platforms, starting with Netflix, but now having grown to a number. Uh, we were in the early stages of some of the free ad supported streaming platforms, the fast platforms. Um, and you were seeing this as well paired with traditional linear um, television viewing from MVPD. So there was kind of more fragmentation in the way that consumers were interacting with video and consuming that video, which was creating a lot of fragmentation in audiences and fragmentation in data. Um, so this all needed to be brought together for advertisers to have much greater simplicity in reaching the right audiences and measuring the right results and consumers to make sure that their data was being used in um, privacy and secure, safe ways. Right, and then blockchain technologies are involved here. So maybe talk about that, because I mean, that that's kind of a, um, a foundation or a key underpinning to what you're doing, right? So uh, doing um, it. it certainly was a huge inspiration for us in terms of how some of these distributed systems were being built um, that were uh, using a number of different novel technologies, whether it was encryption or peer-to-peer -peer architectures. Um, the, the way that blockchain systems were created was a really big inspiration to us as we were forming um, the company and starting to build out the initial product. Uh, sweet. We actually don't use blockchains in their truest form. Um, so there is no distributed ledger as it relates to, to block graph. But what we do offer our customers is a way to use software that is common, that allows them to communicate with other software owners of that, uh, within our network that have data. So if I'm a TV distributor and I want to partner with an agency, I can use this distributed peer-to-peer -peer software to communicate directly without having an intermediary in between um, the two of us. And similarly with programmers and, and measurement companies and the list goes on and on and on, but all of these companies who want to do data-driven advertising and need to work together, <clears throat> we give them tools that allow them to work directly with one another without needing to go through intermediaries. So in many ways, inspired by concepts common in blockchain systems. Yeah. So from a legacy standpoint, what would be an interme intermediary that uh, you can kind of remove from the equation? Yeah, so even some of these intermediaries themselves are evolving their business models, which is great. Um, you're seeing kind of innovation, uh, and I think the broad umbrella term that we use within the industry is clean rooms or clean technology, um, where you know we've realized that the there's more than one way to match data. It doesn't require everyone to create a crosswalk or to onboard data. Um, to a third party and have that third party provide matching. Um, but rather, you know, software can help facilitate much of the, the differences in um, connection. So I would say the legacy approaches were more of the traditional crosswalking of data or the onboarding of data and use of a common graph, uh, a third party graph. Whereas now what we're seeing is as companies are investing in their own first party, they need software that allows their first party data to communicate with other first party data owners. Um, and they still need to work with third party data. 
um, but they don't necessarily need the third-party data to also be the onboarder or the crosswalk provider. And I think that's the big shift we're seeing in the industry right now. Yeah, and how does this help improve uh, data protection and privacy and things like that? Is it just because it's it's not uh, getting the data is not going to as many different uh, parties effectively? Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's a couple of different ways. The first is that. <clears throat> Every company has its own privacy policy, its own strategy as it relates to data and what they're comfortable using their data for um, based on relationships that they have and their own policies um, and their own strategies. So uh, they need flexibility in the way that they configure how their data can be used. Um, and that requires them to have technology that will allow them to set up different types of permission access, who can access what pieces of data, um, how anonymized is that data when it's being accessed, what types of use cases do I want that data to be used for. Maybe I, I'm comfortable with it being used for planning, but not comfortable for targeting, for example, or vice versa. Um, and maybe I'm comfortable with granular data as long as it's been appropriately de-identified, or maybe I'm not because that creates uh, a discrepancy with my strategy. So there are all these different variations of how customers want their data to be used and by whom. Um, and that's really where we give them the controls and really strong technology that helps enforce their needs beyond just contracts. And then you layer on contracts um, that these companies have amongst one another around how their data uh, can be used. And then the last point is you're really minimizing the number of times that data does need to be moved um, between parties um, and what specifically needs to be moved between those parties. So there's a variety of places within the whole end-to-end -end, um, flow where you're adding new protections, um, both technical and legal, throughout the process, which creates um, a lot better experience for all parties in the supply chain. Right. And for this I, this kind of process, I guess, um, with BlockGraph, with the companies that you're working for, we'll get into that, but who has, like, because it's kind of, you said it's distributed still, so who has ultimate authority or control or is it kind of shared and that's the idea yeah so every owner of data has control over their data um full full stop um so i'll break it down with a couple of examples if i'm a tv distributor i have um knowledge of who my customers are because i need to send them a bill every single month I also might know various identifiers for that household for the platforms that I provide them. Um, you know, I might give them a TV device or I might give them a router. Um, and as such, I need to be able to map those to my various customers um, that I have so I can provide services to them. At the same time, I don't want that information to be shared um, because I want to preserve the privacy of my households. Um, but I want maybe companies to be able to match their data with my subscriber base so that we can engage in more um, effective, personalized 
media, whether that's for planning or targeting or actually seeing which ads were effective. Um, so in that scenario, I, as the person with the customer relationship and the data am responsible, I just use this software that Blockcraft provides me to help meet my responsibilities. Um, and okay. ultimately, so, and the same thing goes to the brands or the agencies who have their own list of CRM files that they want to use for segmentation and targeting. Um, they're responsible on their side for how their data ultimately can be used. And then there's a whole host of intermediaries that have their own flavors of data, measurement companies and publishers, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, but each of them, for whatever data they're bringing to the table, they're both responsible from a legal perspective, but also from a um, governance perspective. And we give them the tools that help them meet those obligations. Okay. Great. Well, um, advertising sure getting complicated <laughs> from the data side, but you know, one, one thing I, you know, uh, with all the parties and all you know, the, the, the sources of data and how they need to uh, work together to do targeting and so forth. But can you give us some examples of like how this is being applied, you know, in the real world? Is it, you know, if I'm going to work with blog graphs, like, Hey, what am I trying to achieve here? Is it, Targeted advertising campaigns, does it have to be targeted? Can it be other things? You know, does it need to be, you know, a uh, MVPD app, you know, the television, not a regular set top? I mean, there's so many ways, you know, that uh, people can access their content now. For sure, there are. Um, <clears throat> and, I, you know, I think while the technology has changed and the um, amount of data has changed, we're still not splitting the atom as it relates to the use cases. We're still talking about the same okay. stuff. I need to plan media effectively. I need to reach the right households or consumers, and I need to measure whether or not my ads were effective. What has changed drastically is how we do it. And, and I think that um, when people come to us and the types of use cases that they're trying to do, most of it really involves, <clears throat> I have this list of customers that I have, um, that I want to reach and I need a good way to match that with my media partners, um, who actually have relationships with those customers. And I want to make sure the match rate is both accurate and large. Um, and I need to do that in an efficient way. I want to match the target list I want to reach with uh, the media partners that I have. That's a targeting use case. Um, in terms of how those segments were created, sometimes it's based off of CRM data. Sometimes it's based off of, you know, ad exposure data. Like I want to suppress people who have been under overexposed um, so that I don't keep showing them the same Add yeah. over frequency, over, kind of thing. exactly yeah. over frequency, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's you know I want to re re reach people that have been on my my website in the last couple of days and hit them in the television environment. So there's all of these different types of targeting use cases. Um, that was actually our original thought would be that's where our business would take off first. What actually 
was was interesting is that it was actually the the measurement and attribution side where we saw the earliest growth in terms of the use of our product and that was just um you know we had great partners uh you know one of our first major non um ownership partners that started using our product in a pretty interesting way was TV squared who is now Innovid. Um, and they were working with some of our um, distributors in the network to associate website lift deterministically to linear TV impressions at the household level in a privacy friendly way. So they were able to connect people who went to a brand's website after being shown a television ad, traditional television ad, um, oh, with so they 100% correlate. certainty. Exactly. So uh-huh. they could correlate which households were actually um, oh. being impacted and being able to go from an ad they saw and then visiting the, the website of that brand. And that was all done in such a way that it preserved the privacy of the actual household. But the the marketers were ultimately able to determine which campaigns were better suited at driving website visitors from my linear TV campaign? Something that had never really been done cross-platform, a traditional linear on a set-top box and driving a web outcome. So that was pretty cool. Um, and we did similar things with a number of other great measurement partners that we have. Um, and they're all seeing great match rates. Uh, and I know we'll probably talk through some of the, the more recent announcements um, but it really, for us, it is boiled down to targeting and and um, and measurement at the end yeah. of the day. Well, it sounds, sounds like yeah. So you're able to help out with the uh, <clears throat> um, to help someone to determine the effectiveness of an ad, but kind of look at it kind of from a different perspective in terms of the 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 way it's effective. You know, you can you Correct. can drill down to a different way of determining a, an ad's effectiveness or a campaign's effectiveness. Okay. And who, you know, uh, you know obviously we, we know, you know, there's ownership with Comcast, NBCU and, and Charter and Paramount and, and, uh, and uh, they, we, they, they're both on the distribution, some are on the distribution and content side, some are content only, yep. but also doing some streaming, maybe direct to consumer, a lot, a lot of different things. So, uh, with all the different parties, right? So, who are your primary customers in the uh, ecosystem for advertising? Uh, you know, do you you had mentioned a lot of different parties? So it's like, hey, if I want to do the use cases you're talking about, um, you know, where, where does it kind of start <laughs> for you uh, from the yeah. customer standpoint? Yep. <clears throat> so very early on, we made a very deliberate choice to focus on the TV and CTV ecosystem. Um, but we we made it, that choice deliberately <clears throat> for a number of reasons. Uh, but the level of focus that it required and the nuance and the differences of the TV industry are, are pretty meaningful compared to other media ecosystems, whether that's desktop, mobile, Etc. So we focused entirely on the TV ecosystem and the the, the players within that world. <clears throat> but within that world, you have a pretty uh, diverse set of customers to to attract into the our BlockRaft platform. Those being 
TV distributors, which are really the core of everything we do, um, TV distributors, and primarily TV distributors who are also ISPs, um, because they have a really unique asset as it relates to customer relationships, both in traditional pay TV, but also in broadband, um, which is where most of those CTV apps are essentially being delivered uh, is on top of broadband. Um, so that was really our focus. And Comcast Charter are the two biggest in the U.S., um, but we also have a number of other great customers on the distributor side, um, <clears throat> cable, cable distributors, satellite distributors, um, who use BlockGraph to work with all of their partners. So that was one customer segment. The other is the, the suppliers or the content owners, um, companies like Paramount, but also aggregators like Ampersand who, um, who provide both a platform and enable the media of various MVPDs um, on behalf of them for their, um, for their supply. And then a number of others uh, that we've worked with throughout over the years um, in terms of helping them reach the right audiences across all of their distribution um, footprint. And then they all work with you know, agencies, advertisers, measurement companies, uh, data providers. These are all companies who are playing in the TV world. Um, and, and we see them all as our own. Um, they're all valuable participants in this network we've assembled. Okay. And I was kind of looking back because I wanted to kind of get a feel for the, uh, sounds like a lot of different types of customers, a lot of activity, uh, you know, maybe is specific or anecdotal as you want to be in terms of customer growth uh, or business activity you've seen maybe within the last year or so, because I was looking back and when we talked back in 2019, when, you know, it was just, you know, we were talking about being incubated and moving on to this next step. um, I think there were roughly like 20 beta participants back in those days. Um, You know, we're a few, you know, we're, we're a little bit further down the line. So, yeah, I just want to kind of maybe get a, a big picture yeah. view on what's happening there. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of where we are today in terms of adoption, customer growth. Uh, so I mentioned distributors. Today we account for about 72 million um, ISP households are part of the BlockRef ecosystem through our distributors. Mm-hmm. And then another 52 million um, distributor households for pay TV. Um, so a pretty sizable footprint. Is there That's overlap? What, uh, well, there's significant overlap. Yeah. Okay. And in most, most of the 50 are part of that 70. Mm-hmm. There, there are yeah. exceptions where a satellite company is a pay TV household, not necessarily a broadband household. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a large overlap there. So, but that being said, that's kind of fully deterministic. That is very unique to the BlockGraph ecosystem because it's this identity asset that hasn't been able to be used in the past because of restrictions around sharing it. And we help them make use of that. So that's a really unique asset. We also have identity partners in our network who have the full footprint of U.S. households, so 125 million plus, um, who represent um, third parties capable of resolving data as a service um, to other BlockRef customers. Um, So full U.S. footprint of which 72, 73 million are fully deterministic um, and a really unique asset. 
In terms of uh, growth, um, you know, we're well out of the beta phase where people are using this for a variety of targeting use cases, measurement use cases. Um, <clears throat> in terms of customers, there's only so many people within the TV ecosystem today um, in terms of who you're looking at. So I think, you know, not <clears throat> dissimilar to beta numbers, maybe a little bit higher, but what you're seeing is they're actually proper customers. And there's many new ones since that phase, um, you know, that we, we've serviced. So in terms of business growth, it's been really good. Um, you know, we continue to double every single year, uh, more than double every single year in terms of um, top line customers, usage, revenue, et cetera. So we're very much a growth business, um, small organization um, from a headcount perspective, uh, but but a lot yeah, of great people? growth. Uh, thirty north of thirty six today. Um, okay. So so a pretty pretty small but mighty team that's really working with a number of the biggest media companies in the industry. Um, and our technology helps us support all of them. So okay. um, so so I think. Customer growth has been great. Uh, you know, we're we're in a growth market as it relates to the shift towards these clean rooms and clean technologies that help data be used um, in privacy friendly ways. Um, so, so we're in a great great moment. That said, the industry is going through a big change. Um, so, we're here to help our customers do right. that. And a lot of what we talked about was uh, more U, uh, U.S. Centric, I guess. Um, yep. Is there opportunity internationally, or you know, is that kind of a uh, future, you know, uh, yeah, path for the company? You know, I, I, I'll tell you the same thing I tell our employees when I when I get asked the question. Um, being in a startup is uh, really hard, but the only way any startup succeeds is by having a certain level of focus. Um, and staying laser focused on the market that you're serving. And then you earn the right to grow from there. So we've made a deliberate, intentional choice, much like we focus on the TV industry, to stay focused on the U.S. market um, because of our relationships within that market and our know-how of that industry and the ecosystem and the players and the fact that we didn't want to spread our, our people too thin. Um, so we have really very deliberately focused on the U.S. That's not to say what we're doing doesn't have relevance internationally. It certainly does. Um, <clears throat> but each market is so unique. The U.S. is still the largest ad market in the world. Um, and as a result, we've really deliberately stayed focused within that, that, um, that market. Okay. Now, one question I had is kind of a weird one, but um, <laughs> since, uh, you know, the, the company is kind of, I kind of like look at it, it's like you, you probably still feel like a startup, even though, you know, you've got yep. a lot of scale, but on a basis of like one to 10, you know, one being very young, nascent player still trying to get a foothold in the market uh, yep. and 10 being, hey, we're a big player mainstream in the uh, the world of advertising where yep. would you put yourself right now we're just getting started uh you know i wouldn't put ourselves as a one because our product is quite mature in certain areas and it's adding a lot of value 
um, for our customers, but we're in the very early innings of a big shift in how television, um, how the industry is evolving. Kind of broadly speaking, you're seeing the regulation, you're seeing recessionary pressure on ad spend and just in general on these companies. And you're seeing a realignment resulting from these these two things. This is very early stages, though. I think you're going to see big shifts in the broader TV ecosystem, the ad-supported ecosystem. And as a result, we want to be where those the where the industry goes in the coming years. And we believe that we've built a product that is uh, and a platform that is going to help the industry navigate to this realigned world. Um, but we're just getting started. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of <clears throat> opportunity ahead of us to grow the business and to continue to serve our customers during that transition period. So if you forced me to answer with a hard number, you know, we're in the three to four range uh, in terms of where we want to be. Yeah, exactly. Three point <laughs> three, like three, three, six. three and three quarters. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's round it up to three point seven mm-hmm. five. Um, but you know, right. seriously, all all that said, we we're really happy where we are um, in terms of the the business and and the usage and the customers we've been able to bring on. But we always want to go faster and go further. Yeah, what's the big challenge then for this year? Is it uh, just staying pace with um, everything that's uh, happening? Is it education of the market? Uh, yeah, kind of where, what's the big one? Well, you know, you're seeing kind of two competing trends within the market. You're seeing customers who are really cost conscious, um, you know, in general, in terms of their business, because they're under a lot of pressure to to deliver for their shareholders to deliver for their parent companies and um and the market itself is still at this inflection point in terms of where when ad spend comes back is it you know gonna grow at the same rate is it going to be flat this year there's a lot of uncertainty around the market um so i think customers are apprehensive in terms of um, uh, applying new technology and, and evolving their business. But at the same time, they know they're going to need it and they know that they need to deliver cost savings versus current approaches. So, um, you know, for us, it's really just continuing to execute the plan, staying focused, um, helping educate the market because there is a lot of confusion around clean rooms, clean technology, how these things fit together, what it means for the business, and then how do I factor that into my my cost savings plans and my my improvement uh, needs. So so I think just helping the market navigate, helping our customers um, evolve their business, uh, but really it, it boils down to execution, just continuing to execute the strategy we've laid out. Okay. Last thing, and maybe it relates to what you just said, uh, uh, big, you know, major goals this year. Uh, any particular ones that uh, you'd want to identify? For us, it's about three things. <clears throat> we want to continue to strengthen our platform, make it both uh, even more robust, stronger, um, faster, but also more cost effective to operate the platform. Uh, so continuing to help pass those cost savings along to our customers, that's a big priority. Um, the second is really just continuing to expand the network with some of the great customers that we um, 
we want to service on the content side, as well as on the advertiser side, uh, advertiser slash agency. Um, and then I think the third piece is really just about hitting the goals that we've set out as it relates to, to our financials. Um, so it's really, you know, delivering for our, for our ownership group, um, and helping them grow their businesses, um, helping expand our customers and adding a ton of value for those customers when we earn their business and then making our platform stronger, more cost effective. Okay. Well, great. Well, I think that's what we had time for today. So I think that's where we're going to leave it at this point, Jason. But uh, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Glad we had an opportunity to catch up. Great to be here, Jeff. Talk to you. Uh, hopefully not three years from now. Yeah, we got we got to we got to yeah. get sooner yeah. than that one. Sounds good. Talk soon. Bye. All right, bye.